0: K-M-T-T, Kimitzion Te'etzei Torah. You're listening to the Arab Shabbat program, Yudbet Hevet, Arab Shabbat Kodesh Parashat Vayechi. And I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell.
1: And this is Ezra Beck. And I'm going to take a few minutes from uh about Snowbell to once again remind everybody, this week is the K-M-T-T Drive Week, Appreciation Drive Week. Let me list the phone numbers. The address is immediately. The phone number in New York, 212-732-4874. You can call, use your credit card or get any other help. The address in New York of the American Friends of Yeshivat HaRatzion, 160 Broadway, Suite 1000, New York, New York, 10038. If you're in Israel, have a special phone waiting to hear from you. 0522 606 454 or you can mail to Yeshivat HaRatzion Alon 90433 This week we've devoted the whole week taking some time from the Limon HaTorah, which is our main our, basically our only goal but we've taken a little time from Talmud Torah to appeal to everybody, to the community, to the khila of the people who listen to KMTT, people who learn with KMTT, to also support KMTT. As I pointed out, there is there is no other support. And uh, instead of viewing it as some sort of a, uh, a service that, that comes magically through the internet, what it is, ki Torah, it's a community, and we're all in this together. And it's yours. It's, it's if you if you use it, if you if you appreciate it, if you learn with it, then it's yours. And therefore, it's now one week a year. This is the week. The appreciation has to be translated into something more more material. We're waiting. The phone's a man. The office is open. Send as much as you want. Whatever you think when everything can help. If Bezrat Hashem Bechastei Hashem you have the financial means then, then 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 view it as a great a great opportunity for the tzedakah. KMTT is I think the beginning of a true evolution that everybody should be able to learn every day there will be time to learn. And so and so view it as a great tzedakah and and you know be, be a philanthropist. And um, a week, a week of uh, a month, a month of KMTT costs like about five hundred dollars to to put out. And if you're paying just for yourself, then pay what you think it's worth. There are two hundred episodes, two hundred broadcasts, podcasts a year. And in Meitz Hashem, we should have many more years of expansion and development, and really bring Karach Tava, lima Habatz to, uh, to the ears of every single Jew who wants to learn Torah and is looking for an opportunity and the time and the time to do so. And now, I send you back to above Jonathan Snowbell.
0: I'd just like to quickly thank my wife, Tara, for helping me out uh, come together with the ideas for this week's Arab Shabbat program. We just passed Asar Tevet, a day in which. Uh, we mourn the beginning of the matzor, the siege on Jerusalem, in the time of the first temple, the first bait at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the beginning of the end for the first Beit mikdash. We also mark the Yom Kaddish HaKlali, a more modern uh, application of Asura B'tayvet, the day for people to say kaddish for lost ones who perished in the Holocaust at unknown times, where uh, it's impossible to mark a Yort site properly because nobody really knows when the people passed away. So, that's Rabbi Teved is the Yom Kaddish Haklali, the day that people say kaddish and mark uh, the their deceased, their close, their relatives who deceased in the Holocaust. And on that note, maybe two days after Asar Tevet, we should uh, look on a little bit more of an optimistic level towards ideas of Malchut, Kingdom, and Beit HaMikdash, uh, as a comfort for the sad things that we marked this week. The Haftarah of Parshad Vayechi is what we call Tsav'at David, David's will, his last will and testament, where he tells Shlomo, gives him instructions towards after the time where David will be gone. And on a simple level, the idea being that this is a relevant Haftarah for Parshad Vayechi because Parshad Vayechi, Yaakov. Um, has his last will and testament if you may he gives his last instructions or last words to his sons before he dies this idea is certainly true however it's possible that there's another idea here which is a little bit deeper a little bit maybe below the underneath the surface but an important idea nonetheless and like I said, an idea which is relevant towards I- our ideas, towards uh, Malchut, uh, kingdom, and, uh, and Beit HaMikdash. David HaMelech is uh, handing over the reigns of kingdom to Shlomo. Uh, this is essentially the beginning of David HaMelech's dynasty. A dynasty by its nature, is problematic. It automatically marks individuals by their family as as the next in line, despite their actions. This seems, not seems, it is an undemocratic idea. A democracy would choose the best person, regardless of their lineage, their lineage... And a dynasty chooses a person on the basis of who their father was. On the other hand, a dynasty is something that gives stability. Uh, living in in Israel, uh, the the instability of the government and uh, is something that uh, often irks us. And a dynasty uh, is something that when done properly will give positive stability. Stability is an important thing in a country's life, knowing what to plan for, what to expect, instead of constantly moving from one plan to another based on what new governments sprout on a yearly basis. And that being the case of a dynasty then, the question is how does the Torah counter the idea of dynasty or the problem that dynasty comes with it. As we said, a dynasty uh, is going to automatically choose from a limited list a leader based on his lineage, his lineage, pardon me. And we have to ask ourselves, so how do we counter this idea of choosing someone who might be not the best person at times In fact, maybe it's guaranteed that along the line of the dynasty, there's going to be not such great people. How do we counter this idea? How do we deal with this idea? The choosing of Shlomo as a king raises two questions, which are essentially one the person who wanted to be king before David even died still in Sefer Shmuel is Avshalom Avshalom was the perfect son who ultimately rebelled against his father and ultimately was killed after him was Adonia Adonia we see in the beginning of Sefer Melachim wants to be the king and he seems to have the capabilities of being the king, he seems to be a leader everybody is interested in him the people who in the past, surrounded David. Now, see Adoniah is the proper choice for the king. He is, he is good looking. He has a leadership quality about him. People are coming to him naturally. And yet Adoniah is not the choice, neither of David nor of Nathan Hanavi, i.e., not God's choice. Shlomo Amalech is God's choice. Now, after the fact, we can talk about Shlomo's successes or failure as a king, and what. Grandeur he brought to the kingdom of Israel in his, in, his, in, his, in his reign, and what failings he had. But at the time of his choice, none of that is relevant. He's neither the smartest person at the time, nor the wealthiest person at the time. He's just Shlomo HaMelech, Shlomo the son of Bathsheba. So The second question is, how is Shlomo the son of Bathsheba, the son of the woman that ultimately led David to his greatest scandal, and to the rebellion of Absalom, how is he chosen as the king of Israel for trying to choose the best person under the circumstances that yes we're gonna have a dynasty, we're gonna choose the son of the previous king, let's choose the best son. Why would we choose Shlomo who is tainted, he's the son of this union that was, was problematic for David? What's going on here? If we are indeed talking about a dynasty, and a a dynasty is going to have a limited choice of people, and time will only tell, and indeed this is what transpired, people are going to fail over time, and not only fail, but perhaps even be bad. If it's fixed that we're going to have a dynasty, and we've chosen the value of stability over perfection, you could always choose the best leader at any given time, but we're not choosing that. We're choosing stability. We're choosing a dynasty. So the quality that is needed to combat the problem of, the inevitable problem of people being failures within this dynasty is the quality of tshuva, of repentance, of the ability to correct oneself. In other words, human beings will fail, human beings will be imperfect, all the more so in a dynasty, will it be inevitable that a king will be We'll be making mistakes, we'll be making terrible mistakes, will be a bad king. In that sense, the quality in which that which we need to put into the dynasty is the quality of being able to correct one's mistakes. Correct one's mistakes, correcting perhaps the a father's mistakes, not necessarily as an individual king going to be willing or want to recognize his mistakes, but perhaps his son will be able to see the mistakes and correct them. In that sense, Shlomo is chosen because he's not the perfect son. If describes is described at the beginning of Melachim as perhaps the perfect choice, he's next in line after Avshalom, he has leadership qualities. He is the perfect choice. Shlomo, on the other hand, is the son of this troubling relationship of David and Bathsheba. However, David did went through a rigorous process of tshuva over his sin with Bathsheba. He went through a rigorous process of punishment and understanding why this was a bad thing that he did. And those who want details about this issue can of course look at uh, Rav Meydan's book on Chet David and Bathsheba. We're not going into the details right now. And the need to put the son, not of the sin of David and Bathsheba, but the son of the repentance of David and Bathsheba. Of course the son who is born from the, from the problematic relationship before they were married died but Shlomo is born after or in the middle of the tshuva process he is the son of repentance by choosing Shlomo as the king as the essentially the beginning of the dynasty because David is not a dynasty the first king is never a dynasty it's the second king which is a dynasty. By choosing him as the second king, by beginning the dynasty with Shlomo, the value of tshuva is placed as the utmost, the highest value within this dynasty. Yes, this is a dynasty. It's a problematic It's problematic by its nature. But in order to correct its inbuilt problem, we're sticking tshuva there. And tshuva also connects to the Beit HaMikdash. Because David Malach cannot Build a Beit HaMikdash because we need stability for the Beit HaMikdash. We need minukhav and And stability is only when we have a dynasty. And a dynasty is only the second king. And the Beit HaMikdash is tshuva and repentance par excellence. It's about correcting one's mistakes. It's about bringing korban chatat, korban asham. And only one who is imperfect and is willing to correct one mistake, one's mistakes has a place in the in the Beit Hamikdash. Shlomo building the Beit Hamikdash is therefore the correct step to make. Shlomo being the second king of Beit David, the beginning of the dynasty, a dynasty which is built on the ability to correct, to recognize one's mistakes and correct one's mistakes. This is what is needed for a dynasty. And this of course ultimately connects to our parasha. Because in this parasha one of the brachot of Yaakov Avinu is to Yehuda, And Yehuda is set apart from the rest of his brothers. He is given the kingdom in this week's parasha and of course that kingdom is the kingdom of David and Shlomo and that dynasty. It is given to Yehuda in this week's Parsha. And this is Yehuda, the man who suggested sl- selling his brother into slavery, but when the next brother was threatened to be taken into slavery, offered himself instead and corrected that sin. And this is Yehuda, who wouldn't give his third son to Tamar out of fear from his life. And would have been very happy to be rid of Tamar and have her burnt at the stake, if you will, when she was suspected of having an illicit relationship. But he took responsibility. He admitted his mistake When confronted with the possibility that he made a mistake. And he saved Tamar from being burnt while taking the blame upon himself. He could have had her die and have his secret go to the grave with her but he chose not to do that, he chose to recognize his mistakes this too then is the connection between the parasha and the haftarah the parasha gives the dynasty, the ultimate dynasty whenever it will be to Yehuda Yehuda who's able to correct his mistakes, recognize his mistakes and the Haftarah discusses Shlomo Melech, the beginning of that dynasty. Shlomo, who more than anything else does not signify perfection, but rather tshuva, the ability to recognize one mis- one's mistakes and correct them. this point in our program, we'll be listening to Rav Tavori.
2: This week on the seventh day of Teves, is the yard site of the Dubna Magid. Rabbi Yaakov Benzev Kranz was born in 1741 in the city of Vilna. He was brought up within the Lithuanian tradition and became known very quickly, very young in life, as a, an orator. A speaker, what was known then as a Magid. And the Magidim used to go from place to place. Now, interestingly enough, he spent a number of years in the city of Meserich, where he actually was the Magid of Meserich. Of course, that should not be confused with another historical person at that time who became known as the Magid of Meserich, but he was a Magid in the city of Mezrich. He moved to different towns and became most famous as the Magid of the city of Dubna. He remained in Dubna 18 years as the Magid, as the Darshan, as the orator of the city. It is also well known that he traveled a lot at that time, went from city to city, and used to give drashas in various places. Because of the Fact that almost every one of his drushas was based on a parable, he used to bring stories, sort of fables for every peyush he said. He became known as the magid who spoke in mishalim, in parables, and in fact, the name of the sefer that was published with his peyushim, his drashot on chumash, is called Mishle Yaakov. Not because it's on the Sefer Mishle, it's rather mostly on Chumash, but it's the Mishalim, the parables that were written or said originally by the Dubna Magid. The English book that has been written about him by a a fellow, Glatt, was, was the name of that book is He Spoke in Parables. He's known as the Magid of Dubna who spoke in Mishalim. An interesting and unusual relationship was apparently had with the Vilna Gon. It would seem at first glance that the Vilna Gon and the Dubna Magid should be the antitheses of each other. The Dubna Magid, after all, was a person who appeared, appealed to the masses, spoke in parables on a simple level that everybody should understand. His Mishalim were very much accepted by people and understood by people. But nevertheless, it doesn't seem to be the level of the Vilna who almost lived an opposite type of life. He lived in his own base medrash. He lived in a place where, according to the books that were written about the Vilna he closed the windows, closed the shutters, kept himself in his room, and did not want to be involved with the public. And he believed in learning all times. Nevertheless, we know that the Dubna was well accepted by the Vilna and the the Dubna Magid visited the Vilna Gaon many times, and we have some reports of certain conversations that took place between between the two of them. According to some his versions, when the Vilna Gaon was old, and it was difficult for him to learn, very difficult for him to be his usual incisive self and learn from texts, and learn uh, the higher level that he was used to, he used to ask the, Vilna, the Dubna Magid to come to him and speak to him about his durashot, his parables, that the Vilna should learn, even when there was a time that it was difficult for him. There are two stories about the Grah and the, and the, and the Magid that I heard that I'd like to relate. The first is that since it is well known that the, the Magid visited the Gra, and as I said, they seem to be rather at odds over their approach to Yiddishkeit, to Judaism in, in general, the, st- this story is particularly poignant. The story is that the Vilna Gaon had the Magad of Dubna at his house, and he said to him, you go around the whole world speaking to people, pointing out what they do wrong, and giving musr. In my house, I stay by myself. I don't have the opportunity to hear other people. I would like you to tell me musr tell me what you think I should do, what I'm not doing correctly. Of course, the Dibna Maggit at first, his first instinct was, how could I possibly tell the uh, Vilna Gon that he's doing anything wrong? It's just impossible. But after the Gon impressed upon him that he was very serious, he wanted the Vilna Gon, He the Vilna Gon wanted the Magyat to really discuss something that perhaps the Vilna Gon should improve upon. So, at the end, they say the Maggid said to him, Vilna Gön, you are indeed a Tzadit and a Gon. But it's not a great kunz. It's not a great trick. You stay at home. You don't go out to the marketplaces. You don't work with people. You don't get involved with anybody. It's not a big kunz under such a circumstance to build up your spiritual level to that of the Vilna Gön, But... Let's see if you could go out in public, work with the people, influence the people more, be involved with people more, and see if you can remain your stature, your person, your midos, your learning, even if you'd be mixed with people. This legend or story that the Magid said to the Vilna Gaon was known in various circles, but I found it interesting that I found two different versions of the ending of that story. One version that I heard was the Vilna broke down and cried. That version implies that the Gon did realize that he was the Vilna And it's true that the level he was on was very great. And of course, his influence has spread throughout the world. But nevertheless, he felt that he was missing something and lacking something that he was not involved more in dealings with people. But there's another version of the story that the words that the Magad Dubna had used that I quoted were, it's not a kunz, it's not a trick to be involved with yourself only and learn in your room. Go out into the world. The other version is that the Gaon answered, Ich bin kein My position is not to show a kunz. I'm not here to show tricks in the world. I'm here to build Yiddishkeit the way I understand it the most. Of course, according to this version, the Vilna Gaon, at the end, did not agree necessarily with the opinion of the Dubna Magid, but said that his approach, for him at least, was what he would consider the best approach. The other story that is told about the Dubna Magid is that one night the Dubna Magid came to visit the Vilna Gaon, and it became near the time of Shavuos, and he stayed there the night of Shavuos. Now, some Jews have a custom of learning all night Shavuos. What you learn all night also depends from person to person. Some people continue learning whatever they're up to. Sometimes you take different sugya, a different topic that you learn. There are other people who basically read what's called the Tikken. The Tikken of Leo Shavuos has in it parts from Chumash, and parts from Mishnah, and parts from Gemara, parts from all kinds of different things. And that seems to be the more simple approach that a person who's not that learned would do. So, the Vilna Gom, according to the legend, red taken the night of Shavuos, like a very simple Jew, whereas the Dubna Magid learned his regular Gemara. So, he asked the the maggot to explain how could it be that the Vilna Gaon learns Tikkan, while the Maggot of Dubna learns Gemara. So, he said, I'll give you the example uh, to explain my point. I'll bring you a mashal. He said, there are two different types of tailors in the world. There's a tailor who walked around from city to city, because he had a suit to sell, two suits to sell, so he walked around with his suits, and he said, this is what I have. This is what I have. If he finds a buyer, fine. If not, he takes it someplace else. There's another type of tailor who's much richer. It's not just that he has one or two suits. He has a tremendous amount of swatches of cloth. He, ha- he can make a suit out of anything you want, out of any color you want, out of any pattern you want. He's got tons and tons of material. So when he goes around, he doesn't show one or two suits. He just shows an example of this of the cloth, a swatch of cloth that he will use for his suit. So the Dubna Magad said, I only have one or two things that I've learned in my life. So the night of Shavuas, so I have to show Akadish Baruch what I have. I learned the Gemara that I'm up to. The Vilnagon who knows Kala Tarakula, the Vilnagon knows everything all he has to do is show a little bit from here, a little bit from there. You take a little Chumash, I know that. A little bit from Bavakam, I know that. A little bit from Zvachim, I know that. He has a total mastery of Kol kula. Therefore, the Knight of Shavuos, he can afford to learn swatches, different parts of the Tikkan. But I have to spend my time learning a specific topic, like the tailor who only has one suit. They asked the, the Magad of Dubna, how could it be that he has a marshal for every single thing. Every perish he, he had, he always used to say a marshal for the perish. How did he do that? So he said, of course, the only way I can give you an answer is by explaining a parable, a mashal. He said there were these sharpshooters of the king. They were trained to shoot. In Hebrew, they're called salafim. And they have tremendous, tremendous accuracy. What does tremendous accuracy mean? On the When they shot for the bullseyes, they hit, let's say, 90%. They hit the exact bullseye when they shot. One day, these soldiers in the unit of the sharp-eyed shooters, these Salafim, were traveling, and they saw a little kid with a very simple type of gun, no special rifle, no special targets, with aims, with anything else. But they saw that this kid had a whole row of Target showed up, and every single one was in the bullseye. The kid was 100% accurate. So they said to him, how could it be that we are the Salafim, we're the experts in shooting, and we have a certain amount of bullseyes, 90%. But you have 100%. So he said to them, because what you do is you take the target, draw the bullseye, and then shoot. Sometimes you hit, generally you will, but occasionally you'll miss. I don't do it like that. I just take a big, 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 big section and I shoot. Wherever it hits, I I draw the bullseye around it. If you draw the bullseye around where you hit, you're always going to have the bullseye in the middle. So the Dubna Maggot said, you see, when I look for a perush, it depends how you look for it. You could look first for the perush and then try to find the mashal for it. I do the opposite. First I have a story. And then I look to see how I can fit, fit my perush into it. So I always have a perush uh, I, I for my mashal because I started first with the mashal rather than the perush. When I was young, very often at the table on Shabbos, my father used to tell my, every, a, a certain mashal from the Durbna Magid, And he said that, you know, people always like to hear mashalim better than hearing the same peyush, without a mashal. First of all, it's easier to remember. But secondly, it could be compared to the type of morality play that used to be held many, many, many years ago. If you would bring a morality play where they had characters that de- depicted certain types of personalities, so a personality that depicted truth would come to the stage totally naked, Truth is absolute. You need no covering. You need nothing for it. What happened in those days, in the days of morality, if someone would walk on a stage not properly dressed, the people would avert their eyes. They wouldn't look at it. In order to say the same thing and have the same message, you would have to dress it up a little bit. You'd have to put some pretty clothes on it. And then the truth could explain what the truth really means. But you have to do it in a way that it's first dressed up. That's why people like Mishalim better than they like absolute truth. Don't hit them so much directly with the pshat, but make a nice story, a nice mashal about it, make it more palatable to them, and they'll understand it better. They say that the Vilna Gon liked the Mishalim of the Dubna Magid very much. But there are three places that they say, the Vilna Gon said, the peyush of the of the Dubna Magid is not just the peyush, but it's the absolute MS and helps us understand this peyush, this pshat, so much more than we would without the mashal. I'd like to conclude by telling one of those. The pasuk says in HaAzinu, Azinu, teshi v'atishkach ker mechalecha. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created you, you foolish person, tosh, weak, v'atishkach ker and you forgot God. So, they say that there was a person who owed money to many, many people. And there was no way he could pay back. So he just didn't know what to do. So he went over to his best friend and said to him, I owe you money. I owe 400 people money. What should I do? There's no way I'll ever pay them back. So his friend said, you know what? When somebody asks you for the money, you go blah, 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 blah. Make some funny sounds, some funny noises. Pretend you're crazy. And the person will be Mithyayesh. He'll give up on the debt. If he gives up on the debt... Yehush cancels the debt, so he said that's a great idea. So he walked around acting really crazy, and a few people saw him and he asked for the debt. And he went blah blah blah. He couldn't pay back the debt, and they were mityaish. They gave up. So his best friend came back to him and said, "You look, look what a favor I did for you. I gave you this advice. I gave you this tremendous trick, and now I'm the only person you owe money to. So pay me my money." So he said, blah, 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 and he pretended he didn't understand. So his best friend said to him, you know, you can play that trick on everybody else, but you can't pl- play that trick on me. That's the gift that I gave you. That's the trick that I taught you. Don't use it on me. Tzur Yadlat Chateshi means that Kaddish Baruch Hu created us a little bit weak. We have the power of forgetting. Forgetting happens to be a bracha. No, I'm not talking about a person who complains he has a poor memory and he doesn't remember the learning and everything else. I'm talking about the fact that so many things have gone by in our life that if we had lived with them continually in our awareness, would be very difficult to continue. Many tragedies, many problems we've had in our life, somehow time solves all of these things and we forget them as we go along. The power of shikha is sometimes a, a power that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us. Tzur Yelad HaTashi Hashem created you as a fool with the power of forgetting, but don't use that trick of forgetfulness. On Hashem, always remember Hashem. These are some of the parables that are told by the Vilna Gon. The interested person is very strongly recommended to take a look at Mishlei Yaakov, that book. I think it's in English also, which has many, many peyushim, many, many mishalim of that of that famous person. Rabbi Yaakov Rebzev, whose yard site will be the 17th of Teves, he passed away in 1804 when he was 63 years old. Yezichel Baruch.
0: Thank you very much, Rav Tavori. This brings us to an end of another Arab Shabbat program. If we just summarize some of the thoughts that we discussed, We look around us and we, we ask ourselves what we're looking for from politicians, what we're looking for from our leaders, and and here the parasha and the haftarah tell us we're not necessarily looking for the perfect person, the person who will not make mistakes. Perhaps there are certain mistakes that are not, we cannot forgive our leaders on the sense of letting them continue being leaders, That's a question, which mistakes are forgivable mistakes and which mistakes are not. And often in democracies, the people ultimately say their word about what are mistakes that we're able to let go if the person, the leader, is able to correct them. And which mistakes are too great to allow the person a second chance even if they want to correct them and want to take responsibility for them. Nonetheless, perhaps what we see from the Parsha is that the most important or one of the most important leaders in a quality, quality in a leader is the quality of being able to correct oneself, to recognize one's mistakes and, and move to a better place than where we are presently. And with that thought, we hope and pray that we're able to be privileged to have stable leadership continuous leadership and leadership that is able hopefully not to make terrible mistakes but if they make mistakes and when they make mistakes they can recognize the mistakes and correct those mistakes and with that hopefully we can reverse some of the tragedies of Asr Tevet and bring ourselves back to Binyan Beit Hamikdash, the building of the temple in which we can all as individuals have an opportunity to correct our mistakes as well Shabbat Shalom.
1: And Shabbat Shalom for me as well. Once again, I remind you, finished your half hour of learning. Please remember to send in your donations for this week. I want to add, aside from the phone number in Israel, 0522 606 454, phone number in New York, 212 732 4874, the mail addresses in New York. American Friends of Shivat HaRatzion, 160 Broadway S- Suite 1000, New York, New York, 10038. Or in Israel, Shivat HaRatzion, Alon Shafo 90433. We also have addresses in Canada or England that are, can be found on the website. And you can also use electronic transfer of money if you have an international credit card, an American credit card, or international credit card. Using the PayPal service, there's a button on our website if you go to the VBM website www.vbm-toga.org slash donatehtm there's a button there called KMTT and you can use your credit card to do an instant immediate electronic internet transfer safe and secured uh, money for the for the program. Kol Tov you'll be back next week with more Torah only Torah Back to our regular schedules. Uh, Shabbat shalom from Gushetzion from Yeshiva Taretzion Kol Tov.